Welcome to the Encounter Church Podcast. We believe that this message is going to bless your life, encourage you, and strengthen your walk with Jesus. Grab a notebook, a pen, and let's jump right in. All right. Amen. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing today? Man, I'll tell you what, I'm excited. We are one week away from an incredible celebration. Anybody know what next Sunday is? Easter. Easter. Let me just say this real quick. Easter is so much more than an egg hunt. Easter is so much more than taking pictures with an Easter bunny. Easter is so much more, this is hard to say, than chocolate. I got that out. (laughs) I feel good that I got that out. Now, Easter is going to be an incredible day for us to celebrate what Jesus Christ did for you and for me. I want to encourage you, grab invite cards on your way out this morning. Man, I'm carrying these things with me everywhere I go, passing them out to everyone I talk to. Grab some of these. We've got posters. Some of you have yard signs in your yard. We have run out of those. But begin to invite somebody. I would challenge you, if everybody that calls Encounter Church home would not only be in church next Sunday, but would bring somebody with them. Come on, could you imagine how many lives we would have the opportunity to speak into that day. Can you imagine the response of the altar when when God gets a hold of the life and the heart of the broken? Man, we're going to look at some in-depth things next Sunday. It may be a little different Easter message than you're used to, but I believe that God has ordained next week, that God has set some things in motion. It's going to be an incredible service Invite somebody, pray this week, be a part next Sunday morning at the Heckard Performing Arts Center. It's going to be awesome. Amen? Amen. Amen. How many of you will make a commitment right now to invite somebody to come with you? Okay, about half of you. Hey, that's better than two. So, awesome. It's going to be an incredible Sunday, guys. Hey, real quick, I'm Pastor Chris, the lead pastor here. My wife and I love being a part of what God is doing. We are watching some incredible things. Those of you that helped yesterday with our outreach at our Warrensburg campus, what a cool time that was of rubbing shoulders with our Warrensburg campus and investing in the lives. I got to talk to so many yesterday several of which are looking for church homes, and they are eager to come check out the church, so we're excited about that. Well, today we are going to dive into a series that we've been in for about nine weeks now. Um, We're processing through the book of Acts. It's a book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. So right away in the New Testament, we've got the book, and it's going to lead us and guide us. It, what happens in the book of Acts is Jesus has just ascended back to heaven. But before he left, he looked at the believers, the followers, and he said this. He said, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise. And as you do that, God's going to pour out something in your life. So they went to Jerusalem, began to pray and seek after God. The Holy Spirit consumes them. We've all read it, Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. What a crazy time that was. Amen. The Spirit of God was flowing free. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. A new boldness to share the good news of Christ was come upon them. And we have firsthand opportunity to learn how did they respond. But more importantly for you and for me, how do we respond? You see, I think for too many years, the church, capital C church, like the corporate church, has been guilty of not 
being the church, but have been satisfied just doing church. Let me say that again. I think for too many years, and, and I think results of that, look at our world around us. The church, corporate C church, the big church, has, has been guilty of just coming in, filling a spot in a seat, the same seat every week because we're a creature of habit, and we love our same seat, and we sit there every week, and we come in. We're satisfied with just absorbing and doing church, but God has called us to so much more. God has called you and you and me. He's called every one of us to be the church. The great commission is to go into all the world and share the good news of Jesus Christ with everyone. That includes that person at Walmart. That includes that person at the grocery store when you go to get your groceries. That, that coworker, that family member, that friend, that neighbor, that person that rubs you the wrong way. We're called by God to, to share that good news. So as we look at the book of Acts, we're discovering what does it mean for you and me to respond to this directive by Jesus to go and make disciples. In other words, to multiply our impact for the kingdom of God. That's our heart as Encounter Church. Our desire is to multiply for God. Not so that we receive glory, no. But so that we can make him famous. So we can promote him. So we can share his good news. So we can win the lost. So we can make a greater impact in our community. So we can truly be who he's called us to be. A lot has transpired in the book of Acts up to this point. We are in chapter 9 today, and a lot has taken place. We see the Holy Spirit has fallen upon them. Suddenly, there's a new boldness. Peter, who once couldn't stand up to a teenage girl, is now addressing a crowd. And the crowd, thousands, in fact, 3,000, come to know Christ after that very first sermon. Things were growing rapidly. They faced some opposition there's a little bit of disgruntledness going on in the church, but the leadership was able to rectify that under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. God began to move them forward in this mission, and they continue to press in despite the mess that they experienced around them. This is where we come to today. Philippians chapter 3, and why am I reading Philippians? Because the, the guy we're going to talk about today wrote a lot of our New Testament. In fact, he wrote the book of Philippians to the church in Philippi. And here's what he says. He says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Come on, would you read that with me this morning? I press on. Come on, say it with confidence. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, if you've taken a moment to say, Lord, come into my heart, come into my life, make me brand new, guess what? He's made you his own. He's grafted you into his family. That doesn't mean that you're done. That doesn't mean that you kick back in the lazy boy and flip the, the foot up and you put your electric blanket on, you turn it on high, and you sit back and veg. 
But what does Paul say? Paul says, man, I'm going to press on. I'm going to take ownership of what God has done in my life. I'm going to push forward to the things of God. Why? Because Jesus has entrusted me with this relationship. And I love watching the early church unfold in the book of Acts. This firsthand opportunity to experience and embrace what they are learning and finding out about the Holy Spirit. So here we are, chapter 9. A young man by the name of Saul, later is referred to as Paul, Let me share a little bit with you about this guy. If you remember, when Stephen was stoned to death, and what does that mean? That means they took large rocks and they threw these rocks at him until the point of his death. When Stephen was stoned to death, all of the coats of the religious leaders of that day were laid at the feet of a man or young man by the name of Saul. Here's the deal. Saul was born in a predominant Jewish family. Now, hold on to this. It's all going to come together in a moment. His family was in the capital city of Tarsus. He was a Roman citizen by birth, so Jewish family, Roman citizenship. He was born five to ten years after Jesus' birth, so Jesus died when he was 33 years old. So we can safely say that Saul, soon to be known as Paul was in his early to late 20s at this point. He had gone to Jerusalem, received training there. He undoubtedly had heard about Jesus. He may even have sat and listened to Jesus speak and share. Paul was a very bright man. He became a Pharisee at a very young age. He described himself as a zealous, a zealot for the law. He was passionate about his faith. He was devout in his heritage, his tradition in the law. He had self-appointed himself as an individual to enforce or push back against those that followed the way. Now, what is the way? The way is anyone that followed after Jesus. He considered what they were doing to be blasphemy against God and Honestly, he felt that they all deserved death. So that brings us up to Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Now, we're looking at Paul here, or Saul at this point, and man, he doesn't look like a very good guy, does he? Not really a guy that we want to hang out with. I mean, his desire was to go into the church and drag as many people out in chains as he possibly could. In fact, his desire was that anyone that followed after Jesus should die. Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath, not just periodically, but with every breath, and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Now, understand this. Paul thought that what he was doing, he thought that the road that he was going down 
was the right path. He actually thought that he was doing God a favor by persecuting the church. But why was he headed to, to Damascus? Well, Damascus was about 150 miles northeast of Jerusalem. It wasn't too far off the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. It wasn't just some city randomly chosen, but it was the center or the hub of the business world. Therefore, Paul felt that it was vitally important that he go there. That was a prime location to destroy the early church. God had other plans. God felt that he needed to get Paul, then Saul, had to get his attention some way, somehow. Has God ever had to get your attention? Come on, anybody else in the house, you've ever been journeying down a path, perhaps you thought it was the right path, perhaps you knew it was the wrong path. That part's irrelevant. But you were heading down a path and God has a decision to make. Will I change the course of their plan or not? Look at this. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath, was eager to kill the Lord's followers. He went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of anyone that followed the way. He wanted to bring the both men and women back to Jerusalem in chains. And as he was approaching Damascus on his mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell on the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Come on, look at this. Saul thought that what he was doing was right. He thought that the plan he had, he thought that the mission he chose was the right plan. He thought that he was dragging people out that were following the wrong path. But in this moment, a light shines from heaven. God gets his attention and the Lord says to him, why are you persecuting me? Come on, look at this. Why didn't he say, why are you persecuting the church? Why are you persecuting the followers of the way? Why are you persecuting those that are committed to Christ? He didn't say that. He said, why are you persecuting me? Remember, God brought us in. He grafted us in to his family. Our text, Paul, when he's writing the church of Philippi, he said, I make this my own because God made me his own. God takes it personal as we press forward with him. Look at Saul's response. Who are you, Lord? And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. Then the men with Saul stood speechless. For they heard a sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he, he opened his eyes, he was blind. So he, his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days, and he did not eat or drink anything. Now, what is this saying to you and to me? 
I don't know about you, God's gotten my attention before, but he's never had a bright light shine out of heaven. He's never called out to me audibly. He's never blinded my eyes before. So what does this mean to you and to me today? You and I aren't going around pulling people out of the church, out of their homes, throwing them in jail. So how can we relate to Saul or Paul's experience in this moment? That's what I want to look at. There are four insights, four things that we can learn from Paul's journey to Damascus. Number one is this, without God, we are lost. Come on. Without God, we are lost. I want you to understand something this morning. God is concerned about the lost. The Bible over and over shares stories about the one that was lost. The lost coin, the lost sheep, the prodigal son that ran off and squandered everything away. Over and over, the Bible tells us that God is concerned about you and about me. And the good news is this. While we were still messing up in the midst of being lost, in the midst of our stupidity, come on. God chose to send Jesus to die. Man, we talked about it a moment ago. You don't have to get yourself cleaned up. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say this over the years. Well, one of these days, when I get myself on the right path, one of these days, when I get cleaned up, one of these days, when I do enough good to make myself presentable, then I'll come to God. That's not the deal. Come just as you are. God loves you as you are, but he loves you too much for you to stay as you are. I want to challenge you today. Embrace that love. Embrace the calling of God. Embrace his arms today because without God, we are lost. Verse 4 and 5. Paul fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, and the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now look at this. Paul knew the scriptures. He had the head knowledge. He was a very intelligent guy. But he was missing one key ingredient. He was missing a personal relationship with Jesus. He was out to get anyone who claimed to follow after Jesus. But he really didn't know who Jesus was. In fact, verse 5, it says this, Paul cried out, Who are you, Lord? He had to come to the place of understanding exactly who Jesus was. Maybe that's where you are this morning. Maybe this is the first time you've been in church in a long time. Maybe you've been coming for a few weeks and you're trying to figure out all this and use the term religious stuff. And by the way, let me put a little disclaimer. We're not into the religious stuff. Religion is what hung around the cross, but Jesus is the one that hung on the cross. So I'm not, I'm not up on all this religious stuff. That stuff will get you distracted all day long. Come on. But Jesus is the one that will set you free. 
you're here today and you're trying to figure all this stuff out, I want to challenge you. Call out to God. Why? Because he already knows your name. He already knows your life. He already knows your thoughts. He knows what you're going through. He knows the mistake you made last night. And he still loves you. But like many of us, like, like Paul, many of us think that we have it all figured out. Paul thought he was going to become the super Pharisee of the day. He was going to save the day for Israel. He was going to save the day for God, make a name for himself, promote himself, rise highly, quickly up the ranks, maybe even become the youngest high priest ever. But Paul's journey was interrupted. And I don't know about you, but I've been there. When I was probably about Paul's age, maybe a little bit younger, I had my life figured out. I had retirement. At the age of 23 years old, I had retirement figured out. Right? Come on. Some of you, some of you are planners. Some of you are with me on this. I had retirement. I knew exactly what I was going to do in retirement. It's another story for another time, but... Suffice it to say, God said, "Uh uh-uh, I got different plans. See, sometimes God's got to get our attention. Sometimes God's got to get us off of our path and onto his path. God stepped in in Paul's situation and he changed everything. Paul was heading one direction and Jesus stepped in and grabbed a hold of his heart I want to challenge you today to allow God to bring you to a brand new place of a heart change, a heart transplant, if you would. Ezekiel says that God will take the old stony, stubborn heart and replace it with a tender, responsive heart. Some of you need spiritual heart surgery today because your heart is no longer responsive. You may be here and you may be saying, Pastor, I've been a Christian for 45 years. The problem is, what's your heart doing? You may have prayed a prayer 45 years ago, but what's your life representing? The Bible says, you will know we are Christians by our love. That by the fruit that we bear, by, by what we produce in our lives. Don't tell me how passionate you are about this ministry or that ministry if you're not doing anything and all you're doing is griping. Oh, come on. Is your life representing Jesus? That's what God wanted to do in Paul's life. To turn him around, to put him on a brand new path, to change his focus. Because sometimes we get so entwined in all of the stuff around us that we really miss what's most important. See, without God, we're lost. The second insight is this without direction, we are hopeless. Those of you that know me very well, you know that I am so directionally challenged. We were coming back from a trip, the staff and my wife and I, and 
we landed at the airport and we were in two cars. Um, so part of the staff was with me, part of the staff was with Angie and we were leaving the airport and quite honestly, I know this sounds really bad, I didn't know how to get home. So I was gonna follow my wife, okay? So she went through the little pay thing at the parking garage or parking lot before I did and she got out and, and I saw a vehicle way up the way. I thought that was her, so I paid and I started following this vehicle. They went down one road and I'm following that vehicle. I get, oh, five, six miles down that road and I realize that's not my wife's car. <laughs> so I call my wife and, and I'm like, where are you? And by this point, I'm going a little faster than I need to go because I'm trying to catch up with my wife. Come on, right? And I found out I was going the wrong direction. You see, without direction, we're lost. Oh, I probably would have eventually made it home, but I was going the wrong way, wrong direction, following the wrong car. And I've discovered without direction, we're hopeless. Verse 6 says this, Jesus looks at Paul and he says, now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. Now look at this. God didn't tell him in the moment what he had to do. He just said, get up and go to the city. God may be telling you, you need to get up because I have something for you to do. I've got a plan for your life. I have a mission for you. And you're arguing, saying, you've got to give me more details. But truth be told, sometimes we're not ready for all the details. Sometimes we're not ready to grab a hold of all that God has in store. Sometimes it just doesn't make sense in the moment. So God gives us bite-sized nuggets at a time. Up here in 300 feet, turn right. That's all I need. Give me the next point, the next turn, and I'm good. And after that turn, I'll wait for the next one. You see, without direction, we're hopeless. Up until this point, Paul was the one in control. He went where he wanted to go. He did what he wanted to do. But that was getting him nowhere fast. Sure, he was quickly climbing the religious ladder, but he wasn't really accomplishing, accomplishing anything of great or lasting value for God. So it says in verse 8, Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. Perhaps that's where you are today. You're at a place, you've gotten some information from God, a little bit of direction from God, but you're having a hard time putting it all together. It's as if we are blind and not able to see our next step. I would say to you that in those moments, it's vitally important that you reach out to someone else in this room. I would also say be cautious of who you reach out to. There are some people in your circle that will lead you the wrong direction every single time. There are some people in your circle of influence 
that you don't need to allow to influence your life. But in Paul's situation in this moment, he reached out to his companions and they led him by the hand to Damascus. Are you willing to allow someone to speak into your life to lead you to your Damascus? Because it's only by getting to your Damascus that you will able, be able to clearly see, again, up to this point, Paul is still blind. There are scales over his eyes. In fact, the Bible says these scales stayed on his eyes for three days. That seems weird, doesn't it? Why didn't God, after the bright light, after speaking to him, after he saw that, that Paul was willing to follow and go to Damascus, why didn't he heal him on the way? I think there's some things that Paul had to figure out. He needed some time without the influence of that around him. He needed some focus time, if you would, to figure out what the plan was that God had. Sometimes God has to do the extreme to really get us to pay attention. He also went without food. He went without water. He was fasting and praying, trying to sort out all that had happened in this journey to Damascus. You see, without God, we're lost. Without direction, we're hopeless. And number three, we find this. Without grace, we're an outcast. Some of you in the room today, you feel like an outcast. You felt like when you walked in that somebody was going to be pointing out your flaws, and I hope that that's not the case because we love you here. And I've had people ask me in the past, do you accept this kind of person or that kind of person? Do you accept this group or that group in the church? I say, everyone is welcome we're going to tell you the Word of God. We're going to tell you what the Bible says. We're not going to flip-flop in the Word, but we're going to give it to you straight. We're going to tell you the facts of God's Word. But God loves everyone, no matter what they're gone through, no matter what the life is that they're living. But maybe you're here and you feel like an outcast. Look what it says in verse 10. There was this believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling, Ananias, yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. Now, understand this. People knew who Saul was. Word had gotten around what Saul was doing. He was going into the church. He was taking people out. He was taking them to prison, even placing them at death's door. So Ananias replies, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priests to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. Verse 15, but the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles. He's my chosen instrument. We're going to get to that idea of being chosen in just a moment. Ananias didn't want to show grace. Have there ever been people in your life 
that have just messed up so many times that you didn't want to show grace? Come on, let's be honest, right? We want to push them away. We want to, th- we want to say things like, well, they'll never change. Oh, they're just all talk. They're not going to ever change. They're going to do the same dumb things over and over they've always done, right? Have you ever said that? Sure you have. That's kind of where Ananias was. He's like, I don't want to show grace to this guy. I know what he's done. I know what his, his plan is. I know why he's come to Damascus. But fortunately, God's not like Ananias. God's not like you or me. God's grace is all we need. But why did God choose Saul? Why did he choose this this man that had been persecuting Jesus and the church, causing ruckus? Why did he choose him? Well, Saul was a trained Pharisee, so he understood the law. He could communicate the gospel to the Jews. He grew up in the Gentile word, World, so he understood how to communicate to the Gentiles. He was from a predominant family, so he understood the world of the powerful, if you would. He also understood how to speak to successful people. The problem was that Paul was convinced that he was right in persecuting the church. He needed God's grace. God had to get his attention. Therefore, there's a 180-degree turnaround to help Paul understand and communicate properly the message of Christ, that Jesus came and he died once for all, but that he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. We'll celebrate that next week as a body. But Paul had the understanding and how to share this with a lost and broken world. But understand this, Paul knew that it was only by God's grace that he could accomplish this task. Look what he wrote to the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 3. He says, everyone has sinned. Man, I love this. Paul was very much a type A personality. He's going to tell you how it is. He's not going to mince words. He's going to tell you straight. But there's a humbling moment on the road to Damascus, this light shining from heaven, blindness for three days. So here he is in Romans. He says, every one of us has sinned, guys. I want you to know that you're not alone in your mistakes. The Bible says every one of us falls short. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Here's what I want you to hear today. God is not surprised by any occurrence in your life. Come on. God is not surprised by any occurrence in your life. I want you to think back. Some of you, like I said, have been saved a long time. I want you to think back to your B.C. days, your before Christ days. Think of all the junk you were doing. God wasn't surprised. 
Some of you have just begun this journey with Jesus Christ. I want you to think back of all the stuff that you've done. I want you to know that he's not surprised. Some of you in the room haven't yet chosen to walk after Christ, to surrender yourself to him because you think you can't quite measure up. The good news is you can't. Well, how's that good news? Because we can't, God says, I can And he chose us in Jesus Christ to die on the cross. God in his grace is freely, makes us free and right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of sin. God already has a plan. He just wants your heart. There was a reason why Paul was a Roman citizen. There was a reason why he had the training as a Jew. There was a reason why he was there when Stephen was stoned to death. There was a reason why he had a type A personality. He just needed to make a heart change and surrender to God. See, we need grace. The good news for you and for me is that grace is freely given, freely available to you today. What's our fourth insight with God? We are called. We alluded to it a moment ago, verse 15, but the Lord said, go for Saul is my chosen instrument to make my message to the Gentiles and to the kings as well as to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Come on, two things there. There's a healing, a physical restoration, a physical healing. But Ananias says that you might also receive and be filled with what? The Holy Spirit. Are we seeing how many times that this Holy Spirit, this idea of the Holy Spirit is stepping back in? I want you to know you need the Holy Spirit today. I almost need the Holy Spirit to walk. (laughs) Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. And immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues. Saul is my chosen instrument. I think Saul somewhat had a difficult time wrapping himself around this at first. In fact, in Ephesians, he says this, even before he made the world, even before God made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. I want you to know today that God chose you even before he created this world. He chose you to be in Christ for a purpose. That's God's plan. Look what he chose us for. He chose us to be holy and blameless. The more we turn our lives over to God, the more that he can do in and through us. And in verse 18, it says, instantly something like scales fell from his eyes. He regained his sight. He was baptized. He got up. He ate some food. He began preaching 
sharing about Jesus Christ. I believe that Paul is evidence for you and for me of the amazing way that God can change a person's life. That God can take us from the wrong road to the right road. In my opinion, Paul was really the least likely person. If I was to see Paul, I probably wouldn't think, man, one day he's going to be a great leader of the church. Because quite honestly, he was a dirty, rotten scoundrel. Right? But God had a different plan. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, Paul says this, Just think, though I did nothing to deserve it, though I'm the least deserving Christian there is, I was chosen. Some of you need to underline this scripture in your Bible. Some of you need to, to write that out and put it on the dashboard of your car. Some of you need to write this out on the mirror in your bathroom. Man, just think. Though I did nothing to deserve it, though I'm the least deserving Christian there is, I, I was chosen. Grab a hold of this. I didn't do anything to deserve it. I can't be good enough. I can't measure up. I'm going to fall short. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm the least deserving. But God, God chose me. Every one of us in the room can put, us in that, put ourselves in that place. You're here right now and you're thinking, Pastor, no, not me. I say, yes, you. God sees you. He knows your mistakes. He knows your shortcomings. He knows the hiccups. And yet he still looks at you and says, I choose you. I choose you. None of us deserve grace. None of us deserve forgiveness. It's undeserved. It's unearned. It's a gift from God. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter who you've hurt, no matter how many times you've turned around and gone the wrong direction, no matter how many times you've resisted God's love, God can change you. Come on, that should make some of you so excited you want to slap your mama. God can change you. <laughs> doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter the rap sheet that you have. God can change you. He can give you a new direction. He loves you. He wants a relationship with you. Paul found himself in this place. He had to understand and wrap himself around the significance, the meaning, the purpose that Jesus Christ had for him. He simply says, I press on. I'm going to make it my own. 
I'm going to take this personally. I'm not going to just play games. I'm not just going to fill the seats. But I'm going to passionately pursue that which Christ has placed in me. I'm going to make it my own because he has made me his own. I want you to look at your life today. I know I've said this already this morning, but some of you in the room, and you have been battling all morning long with this message because you're thinking, I can't measure up. Don't let the enemy lie to you. You're listening to the false narrative that he's whispering and sometimes screaming in your ear. Allow the truth, Jesus Christ, allow the truth to set you free today. Because God loves you. In fact, some of you need to hear this personally. Would you look at your neighbor? Would you tell them, God loves you? Come on, make sure everybody hears that. Some of you have never heard that said to you directly. I want you to know God loves you. I wish I had time right now to go person by person by person. Say, Emma, God loves you. Because if I was to go around the room right now, we'd have to have a conversation because you would say things like, how can he love me because I've done this? How can he love me because of this mistake or that mistake? How can he love me because I don't measure up? I want you to know God's chosen you. He loves you. In fact, John 3, 16, for God so loved you, he sent Jesus to die. Well, pastor, that says world. Of course, you're part of the world. I just made it a little smaller. God loves you. Today, I want to give you an opportunity. I want to give you an opportunity to connect to the one that has chosen you. Would you bow your heads with me today? Let's pray. Thank you again for listening to the Encounter Church podcast. We pray that this message was a blessing and an encouragement to your life.